0: The base is loaded and Acuna's coming up with one man out. 1-1 pitch. Swing and a high fly ball. Deep left. It's a grand slam. Yes, it's lifted toward right field. Alaco going back. He's going to turn that ball. He's good. Opposite field. Grand slam for Acuna Jr. And he strokes that one toward right center field. Acuna got a good jump. Did he hang on? He did want a catch. As Acuna overloads. Tape measure home run. Acuna comes up cleanly. Alonzo chugging for third. The throw. He's going to get it. What a throw and tag. Great throw. You know, Acuna knows how to lead off a game with a home run. How about if he ends one with a home run? High fly ball. Center field deep. At the track. At the wall. And it's gone. Partner, you never forget your first one, and Ronald Acuna Jr. hits one into the Atlanta bullpen.
1: Welcome back to the MLB.com Ballpark Dimensions podcast. I'm your host, Mike Petriello, a writer and researcher at MLB.com. Joined by MLB.com National Content Editor Matt Myers. Today is Thursday, April 28th, 2022, and we have so much to talk about. We are going to welcome on a guest, Mark Bowman, in a little bit. He's going to tell us about the Braves. Ronald Acuna is back tonight. We're super excited about that. Before that, we are going to get to, Matt and I are each going to look at a hitter, a pitcher, and a team uh, we're a little bit concerned about in the early season. We'll get into our three batter minimum and talk about, hey, actually, the Yankees are good, the Twins are in first place somehow, and the trick the Mets are pulling off that I promise is not about hit by pitches, although I'm sure we'll talk about that as well. And then, of course, we'll get to a pair of guys that you should know a little bit about Matt, I kind of feel bad that we're starting with, um, I don't know, negativity, but we're almost a month into the season and there are a couple, you know, you, you can get to some things, like you don't worry about batting average or even ERA really, but you can get to some things in the sense of who's throwing hard, who's not hitting the ball hard, who is, and as the famous saying goes, you know, you can't win a division in April, but you might be able to lose it, and I think that's where we're going to start, so we've each picked a hitter, a pitcher, and a team that we have, we have some concerns about. And uh, you know what I was thinking, instead of just having you, you know, you do all of yours, let's start with hitters, right? I've got a hitter from a National League team, someone who's long been one of my favorites. You've got a hitter who is on a new team who just signed a huge free agent contract, not off to a
2: great start. Who is the hitter you have some concerns about? Uh, The guy I'm a little concerned about is Marcus Simeon with the Rangers, because he's he's been really bad so far in ways that are, again, I'm not trying to be an alarmist, like, oh, he's toast. But I mean... He's hitting 167, 235, 222 with zero homers this year so far. I think last year he had 45 home runs. He has not homered yet this year, and part of the reason I'm concerned about Simeon. Obviously, you know we we know the the ball is not traveling like it has in the past, right? And even in his good years, and in, that's the thing about Simeon is like he's sort of, you know, his 2020 was terrible. Of course, we kind of we we've talked about this a lot on the podcast kind of discount 2020 season a little bit he was great in 2019 great in 2021 but even in his good years 2021 and 2019 his like expected stats his like batted ball stats were never that great to begin with he always kind of overperformed his expected stats like last year his expected weight on base was 333 his weight on base was 368 um in 2019 it was 359 and 373 so like those are good but not great expected stats numbers so it makes me worry that like if you know he's not getting the same kind of like results on batted balls and right now I mean he's he's really really not his hard hit rate right now thus far this season is 24% last year it was 41%. So you know there's always new team new contract you see this a lot of players trying to live up to a new deal so like again I'm not saying he's toast I'm not like oh writing him off but for this season this is the the signs are not great.
1: Can I say can I say two things that might be at odds with one another? The first thing is Simeon will absolutely be better than this. There's no question in my mind. At the same time, Corey Seager is not hitting at all either. <laughs> he has <laughs> one home run and a 589 OPS and if the if the Rangers of the next, I don't know, 5 years are going to be good, these guys have to be great. Like they have to. And it doesn't mean that they can't be or won't be, but not the way you want to start off here's my guy i'm a little concerned about and i actually talked about him a couple weeks ago justin turner so when matt and i did our season preview show our 60 stats for 30 teams i noted that uh over the last decade justin turner had been the the best spring training hitter in baseball like the best he always crushes in spring training except he didn't this year you know at 156 176 281 now it's spring training right we're not going to worry about it so too much especially because it was a you know weird truncated training, and I filed it away as not so much an alarm, but uh, huh, uh-huh. Some, something to watch. Well, maybe it's alarms now. Justin Turner is hitting 206, 254, 511. He has a 51 OPS plus. It is the second weakest month of his entire career. Now, there's no real strikeout issues. There's no real walk issues, but the quality of contact is way down. He's just not hitting the ball that hard. And when you look at the shape of his career that's kind of always been true uh, april is always his worst month so you can look at that and say okay we've seen this before and maybe that's true but he's 37 years old right and the the track record of guys at this age isn't necessarily great you know the one thing the dodgers can say is it's not like they don't have backup plans you can start max muncy at third base which they've done you know gavin lux has been great cody bellinger has been great that's like a whole other thing which is awesome and i think it says good things about the Dodgers that one of their most valuable hitters can offer very little and they still look great, which I guess is the Dodgers way.
2: (laughs) Yeah. The Dodgers are are kind of weird right now in that like, they're still, I think they're like seventh in the league at Wade Reds created plus their offense is like generally fine. And Cody Bellinger's looked good um, hitting with power again, at least. So that's great. But like also you looking at their like team stat lines, it kind of goes to show how we have to like readjust some of our thoughts of sort of like the base level of offense right now of like who's playing well and who's not like I'll give you an example Max Muncie's line currently is 155 347 310 and that is a weighted rate runs created plus of 105 that is the, the, basically he's been an above average hitter <laughs> hitting 155 347 310 like I'm not like I don't really think that's a good thing like for the sport no. in general but it's just like a thing I've note I'm noticing that's like kind of wild. Same thing with Mookie Betts, 209, 338, 328. That's 106, right? So like you look at their their raw stat lines and you're like, oh, like those guys are having a rough go of it, but they're actually basically league average hitters a tick above.
1: Yeah. I know that baseball being different each year is frustrating to a lot of people and it is to me as well in a lot of ways, but also, I don't know, like I kind of like that. <laughs> we get to see the different ups and downs in the sport. All right. my uh, uh Your pitcher, I guess, is um someone who I think is going to be a Hall of Famer. Uh, maybe not based on this year
2: yeah the guy I'm kind of worried about and it kind of pains me to say this is Zach Greinke no you (laughs) might be wondering why I'm talking about it why am I worried about a guy with a 2.86 ERA Um, because he has a 6.04 expected ERA and that gap of 3.18 between his ERA and expected ERA is the largest among the 65 pitchers who allowed 50 balls in play this year so clearly there's something that's really not matching up and if you look He has a strikeout rate of 6%, um, which is just alarmingly low. Last year it was 17%. It was like 23% in basically every year, 23% or above and every year before that. Um, Mike, look this up for me. Thank you, Mike. You have to go back all the way back to 2004 and Kirk Reeder to find a pitcher who qualified with a strikeout rate below 7%. Um, Now, if there's a pitcher who could sort of get by with guile and still be like passable it's Granky, but I will say as someone who was kind of like bullish on maybe the the, the Royals being frisky this year that relied on Zach Greinke being like a good version of Zach Granky and the early returns on both the Royals and Greinke, re- despite that 2.86 ERA are really not great.
1: Since you brought it up, uh, did you see the bad news about the Royals that just came out like 15 minutes ago? Which is that?
2: Yes, that uh, at Alberto Montes, he has a torn ACL. Yeah,
1: and I assume that was going to require surgery and keep him out for a while, which is a huge bummer. Like that guy's so talented and so fun, but he's almost always getting hurt. The, the thing about the Granke stat that you know, you mentioned you have to go back to 2004 and Kirk Raider to have a lower strikeout rate for a qualified pitcher. That is like the definition of a survivor bias. You don't last long enough to qualify if you do that. And it just, I, I tweeted about this the other day and I had Royals fans being, well, it's okay because he's keeping runs off the board and he's doing it on purpose because the Royals have such a good infield defense. And it's like, yeah, I'd love that to be true. I would really like that to be true. But I guarantee you, if Zach Greinke had a way to miss more bats that's a thing he would be doing. And um, it's it's like you said, he's been one of my favorites for so long and it does not look great. All right, here's my guy. I think that's really interesting. Robbie Ray. So there was an interesting high-end starting pitcher free agent swap that happened this year, right? The Blue the Jays had Robbie Ray. He departed for Seattle. The Blue Jays imported Kevin Gaussman, who came in from San Francisco. And I have to be honest, if you'd asked me which one of those pitchers I prefer before the season, I would have said I like them both very much. I'd probably give the edge a little one to Robbie Ray. Well, Kevin Gaussman in Canada is crushing it. He has been absolutely dominant. Robbie Ray in Seattle, it's not quite been the same, you know? So his ERA is up by a run. That's not that big a deal. His strikeout rate is down from 32% to 18%. More importantly, his fastball velocity is down like two and a half ticks. That has not affected the swing and miss on his fastball. Problem is, his slider is also down about two ticks, and his swing and miss on the slider is way down. So that's what he does. He's a a two-pitch pitcher, right? Now, I don't think this is the same thing that happened to him at the end of his time in Arizona, where he just simply couldn't throw strikes. Like, I don't think that's the issue. I just, I don't have a good explanation for why his velocity is down. And he's not quite the same pitcher when he's not throwing as hard. Uh, The upside here is that the Mariners are 11 and 7 anyway. You kind of would have had to expect if the Mariners were going to be good, that Robbie Ray would be great and Julio Rodriguez would come up right away and be great. And neither one of those things has actually happened. and The Mariners are still winning. So I'm open to the idea. Maybe I I underestimated Seattle a little bit, especially if Ray turns it around.
2: Yeah, totally. I mean, I was kind of thinking the same thing, you know, not just, I mean, With not just Ray and Julio Rodriguez, um, Jesse Winker's been bad. Jared Kelmeck has been bad. Like, again, if you thought of like, oh, how are the Mariners going to do this this year? You'd need step forwards from all those guys. Jesse Winker's uh, batted ball – Quality has been good, so I think that like I'm pretty optimistic about him kind of turning it around. Kelnick and Rodriguez, a little, the jury's still a little bit out, but obviously Ty France has been a revelation, sort of like kind of balance things out until some of those guys get it going. Eugenio Suarez has been quite good, so they're still eleven and seven, and I think that like that actually bodes well for them, especially when when it comes to like Ray and Winker.
1: Yeah, we we saw that Cincinnati trade over the winter. It was like, oh, cool, they're going to get Jesse Winker, and I guess they're taking on Eugenio Suarez's contract. Right now, it's the Eugenio Suarez trade because <laughs> he's been great. All right, Matt and I each picked one team that we're a little bit worried about. And we talked about this this morning. What struck me was how hard it was to find teams. Because when I look at the standings, like for the most part, I think things are kind of as expected. You know, a lot of the teams I thought would be very good are very good. The teams at the bottom of their divisions, you know, like the Reds and Diamondbacks and Orioles and, and, uh, and Washington, like, yeah. Yeah. So, this was harder than I thought it would be, which team did you settle on that has some early concerns?
2: The team that I'm worried about right now is the Red Sox um uh, because right now I mean first of all they're obviously in a tough division, so like if you you fall back in that division, it's going to be hard to make up ground and yes, I know there is there is like uh you know the extra wild card so that obviously could you know make you know there's still a chance of them making the playoffs even if they finish fourth in their division, which is kind of amazing, but they're eight and eleven right now with a negative run differential. And the thing about the Red Sox is we always knew the pitching was going to be a little bit of an issue or maybe a big bit of an issue, but it was like, okay, if they're going to win, they're going to really need to like mash and like really score a lot of runs. And there's a lot of not great signs for some of the guys that really they kind of need to get more out of, right? They really were counting on Bobby Dahlbeck and Trevor Story to sort of be like key cogs in this offense. And both of them have really not been very good. Dahlbeck. The track record was never there to begin with. So you have to you know the, the strikeout walk ratio is way out of whack, and like that was always the concern. So there's still that reason for concern. Um when he does get the bat on the ball, he hits it hard, but he's not doing that enough. Trevor's story's not been good. I'm not writing him off because of the whole leaving course field. We've talked about this ad nauseum on this podcast, but the fact of the matter, he hasn't been good, and it could also be you know adjusting the life out of cores, new contract, but there's reasons to worry because like this is a team is gonna need to outslug people. So when two key cogs are not doing it, that's a concern. Kiki Hernandez has also a slow start. His track record, my, I'm more confident in him returning. JBJ, unfortunately, Mike, I think he might just be done as a hitter. Like, I think we may need to write him off at this point. I'm not I'm not pitching you any Jackie Bradley revival stories this year, I promise. <laughs> They're 22nd in the majors and weighted on base. They are last in the majors with a 6% walk rate, which is pretty alarming for a team that's built like this. They've got 194 at-bats without a home run that goes back to April 22nd. So... <laughs> Is that possible? <laughs> um, the Cardinals have also gone seven games without a home run. So it's, it's wild, wild stuff going on out there. So I'm, 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 that, that's why I'm concerned about the Red Sox. If they were mashing and losing, I'd feel a little better. But right now, um, with all that's going on with them, I'm concerned. I would agree with you. It's also a case of timing for them. I watched a lot of their recent series
1: in Toronto where uh, Tanner Houck was unavailable to pitch because he refused to get the vaccine. And that really stretched out their their bullpen in a way that they were not prepared to handle. So I, I think that's hurt them a lot. Uh, Nick Pavetta has really not looked good, but Michael Walker has. All right. My team that I'm concerned about is, I think if you'd asked me before the season of the six divisions, which division winner am I the single most confident in, I would say the Chicago White Sox. And then what happened? They- <laughs> are 7-10. and ten. They lost 8 in a row before beating Kansas City yesterday in a game I think was maybe started by Zach Greinke, and I'm sure there's some kind of correlation there. Now it's fair to point out that the White Sox have been crushed by injuries, right? Uh, Eloy Jimenez hurt himself again with a hamstring injury. He's going to be out for a while. Uh, Garrett Crochet and Tommy John. Lance Lynn is still out with knee surgery. Luis Robert has been slowed by a groin injury. Um, Yohan Moncada is coming back soon. He's on rehab. Joe Kelly's coming back soon. He's on rehab. So you know there are brighter days ahead, I think. But if you know me, if you know me at all, you know I really don't care about lineup order. It just doesn't matter that much. Put your best six guys in the top six and your worst three guys in the bottom three, and it's gravy after that. Well, Leary Garcia has a negative twenty-one OPS plus. I didn't know that you could do that. It's a zero ninety-eight batting average. Earlier this week, he hit third, third, and second in the order, in what was described as an attempt to quote get him going. I it, OK, it's not great, you know, and like Yasmani Grandel is not hitting. Jose Bray was not hitting. They have great track records, right? They will hit. Those guys aren't young, though. Grandal's 33. Bray is 35. Now, there are good signs here, right? Andrew Vaughn has been fantastic. He has been crushing the ball. He's got a 982 OPS. Uh, Michael Kobach has been great as well. But man, it, this division isn't good. And there's still time. I'm not writing them off. I still think they will win the division. But there's a lot to be worried about here.
2: I'm. Um- I'm I'm with you. The, the concern with the White Sox, and I'm someone who's been high on the White Sox, you know, for the last couple of years, is that like they're not a quote unquote stars and scrubs team, but they're a very top like the quality of their roster dips considerably once you get past like 15. And on top of that, and this is something that I that uh, Joshian wrote about in a recent newsletter that I thought was a, a good point is that their farm system is ranked 30th by MLB Pipeline, It's ranked 30th by like Keith Law. It's like a pretty consensus worst farm system in baseball. So for a team that's already kind of top heavy. If they're going to want to try and make trades to sort of like add to the roster, even if it's just like role players and relief pitchers, they just don't have a ton to work with there. Like there's just – they they don't have the kinds of players in the system to sort of make trades that will bring back impact talent. Like it's kind of like what you see is what you get in between the injuries and some of the uncertainty. I have to recalibrate my AL Central predictions. But also like – I mean like Luis Robert, he got hurt last week. And it was a classic – and this is easier to do in a world with 28-man rosters. We have the extra roster spots. He got hurt last week, and there was like, oh, like, we'll just – sit. Down. he hasn't played in a week now. They didn't IL him, and he's missed – he basically has already missed 10 days. Like, it's just like – and every day, it's the whole song and dance. Like, is he going to play today? Is he not going to play today? It speed's a huge part of his game. So a, a groin injury could be a big problem. Like, feels like they probably should have just shut him down and been like, it's a long season. Take the full 10 days, and now we will see – I think he's maybe supposed to come back today. I'm, I'm still not sure. So there's, there's a lot to worry about with the White Sox.
1: The other thing, too, is they've gone through what you could consider to be a softer part of their schedule. They've played the rest of the Central, and now upcoming they have the Angels, Cubs, Red Sox, and then the Yankees right after that. So that might be an issue. All right, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be back on the MLB.com Ballpark Conventions podcast with Mark Bowman, our Braves beat writer, to talk about the return of Ronald Acuna and everything else in Atlanta. We are back on the MLB.com Ballpark Dimensions podcast, Mike Petriello and Matt Myers, and we are so pleased to be joined by Mark Bowman, who is the MLB.com Braves beat reporter. And I want to be totally honest here, we asked Mark if he'd join us like three days ago, and then today we found out that Ronald Acuna was coming back tonight, and this could not have worked out better for all of us. Mark, first of all, thanks thanks for joining us. I know I was really surprised to wake up this morning and find out that they had really accelerated the return. Of Acuna, uh, were you shocked by this, or is this something you saw coming?
3: Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's, it was very nice of Alex Anthopoulos to go ahead and, and do this for the podcast. I thought you know <laughs> they changed all the plans for this podcast, but no, yes, I, w- I was definitely surprised. The target day was May sixth, and uh, you know you're looking at that and saying, oh, okay, well, he's playing last night with seven innings. Then all of a sudden they moved him to nine innings last night. he's Going to play another nine innings tonight for Gwinnett, and you thought, okay, maybe they give him a day off, see how he. He recovers, and he'll be back for the Mets series, which begins Monday there at Citi Field. I, I, I guess I was anticipating, well, May 6th was the target date. I was anticipating May 2nd, even Monday. So, yeah, definitely a surprise, and, and you know, it's just great to, to hear how they did it. He played his innings last night and, and, and had two hits, and, And he's been running around and having no problem with the knee that uh, he tore his ACL in July last year. He jumps
0: on the first pitch, drives that toward Acuna, who leaps and can't come up to win it. He lands awkwardly on the warning track. He's down on the turf. Ball rolls into the outfield grass. Chisholm's driving third. He's going to come home and belly flop in safely with an inside the park homer. But that's secondary to the health of Ronald Acuna, Jr. Ronald jumps And you can see the right leg take the brunt of that landing on the warning track. Yeah. But you can see Ronald Acuna Jr. weeping.
3: So here we are about 10 months later, and he's running around fine. And Alex Anthopoulos talks to the medical staff last night, and they say he's ready to go. So they FaceTimed Ronald around 1 a.m. and said, are you ready to play right field in Atlanta tonight? They said he just started screaming into the phone. (laughs) <laughs> dancing around and that's it, it, just great to hear. I mean it, this this kid loves to play the game. And, and you love to see that youthful excitement. It's it's going to be great it's going to be great for ba- for the Braves and, bo- and and the baseball world. Um it's going to be fun driving to the ballpark excited about what we're going to see tonight.
2: One of those benefits of uh having your AAA affiliate so close to your your home park, you know, in Gwinnett there versus Cobb County where you can just make that decision to like oh, what? you know, like we'll get you there tonight.
3: Exactly. Exactly. There are definitely benefits to having your affiliates that close especially that that triple a club that's going to send guys your way frequently over the course of the year
1: you know at the at the risk of putting too much into 25 plate appearances of minor early time he had a 520 on base percentage <laughs> in triple a on his rehab stint, which says to me he's feeling pretty good but how much outfield do you expect him to play now obviously the full-time dh is an option the outfield depth has been a little thin what's kind of the split going forward for him
3: well it's, the plan is for him to play tonight Right now, they're, they're going to kind of steadily monitor his workload. They're thinking right now he's not going to play day games after night games. I think that's probably going to quickly turn into he won't play the field day games after night games because you've got him playing Saturday night, and then you've got a day game on Sunday there in, in Texas, and then all of a sudden you go to New York, you've got a night game, and then a double header and then an afternoon game. He, I don't see him sitting two of those four games against the Mets. So I, I think we'll see them use the D.H., uh, he'll get you know to their advantage to give some time off his legs. I'd say by the middle of May, you're probably going to see him playing right field on a daily basis. But but they will steadily ramp up his uh, playing time. He he only played nine innings once so far. That last night was the only time he had played. Before that, he had he hadn't played right field more than six innings at a time. And the knee isn't necessarily as much as the concern is. You've allowed everybody else to steadily ramp up in spring training. You know he deserves that. That opportunity as well, just to allow his hamstrings and everything else, every other muscle, calves, anything, just to, to get ready for the daily grind of a season.
2: Now, now Mark, this will be uh, Acuna's first big league games since he made those those comments when he was asked about Freddie Freeman and Freddie Freeman leaving and basically hinted at maybe some, I don't know if a rift is the right word, but it's kind of a disconnect in the clubhouse in terms of how he felt he was treated when he came up. like. What what was your take on like how that all went down and like is it a, is it a significantly different clubhouse without Freeman around is there a different kind of vibe there?
3: I mean, it's a different clubhouse. Yeah, I mean, just because Freddie was was such a large figure in that clubhouse for for so long, I and mean, you know, maybe now it's Travis Darno's clubhouse. But you know, I, I think going back, you know, Ronald certainly was. He was upset. I mean, and he's has said it. You know, what he really was upset with was you know, some things that would happen there during his rookie season. Uh, you know, Freddie, you know, talking talk to him about how to wear his eye black and stuff like that. It's it's certainly not the first time a veteran has told a uh, a rookie how to to do things. I remember you know, some of the chipper and some of the guys getting on Freddie and razzing him and I remember, you know, can you be, we really can't even say what Greg Maddox used to do to, to chipper. So
0: <laughs>
3: and, and what what's the rating on this podcast? <laughs> So, I mean, yeah, I mean, I get it. And I I don't – I didn't get the feeling that there was a significant uh, rift between the two. I mean, Ronald, if he's still upset with with what happened, that's fine. He's entitled to express how he feels. I know that Freeman's son loved Ronald, and Freddie always talked glowingly about Ronald not only as a player but just loved his youthful excitement all that kind of stuff. I really kind of took it as – I've seen that over countless years, the young guys will rub the older guys the wrong way here and there. And sometimes they might say and do things that, you know, irritate the younger guys. But I, I don't think it was probably as big a deal as it, as it seemed. But, yeah, I, I do think Ronald is still bothered by, you know, maybe the way that Freddie told him how to do things there during his rookie year.
1: You know, Mark, before the Acuna news came out, the reason I actually wanted to have you on to talk was because of Kyle Wright, who has been one of the most impressive starters in baseball so far this year. And the whole story is stunning to me. So this is a guy who was the number five overall pick back in 2017 and spent parts of four seasons kind of failing to stick with the Braves. He had a 656 career year at the end of last year, obviously appeared in the World Series. And when I looked into him this year, he looks completely and totally different. Like he's talked a lot about confidence, and I have no doubt that's part of it. But he's throwing the curveball more, and he's spotting the four seamer a lot better. And his sinker has a lot more movement. And his changeup has a lot more movement. And when I looked at quotes, uh, you know, that you got mostly from Brian Snicker, they kept talking about how important it was for him to be in AAA for just about all of last year, which I found really interesting. So who who deserves the credit for? The fact that Kyle Wright looks like an entirely different pitcher.
3: I remember at one point in time during the 2019 season, you know, after a rough start, I stayed back at his locker and I said, you've got, feels like six, seven pitches. It feels like you're toying with all these different, it's great to have all these weapons, but it would be best just to focus on two or three. And I think that's really what happened last year is, is without having to worry about performing at the big league level, they basically told him, Hey, look, you're down there. You're not coming back up. Find out what your strengths are, and I think that's what happened when he was down there. He was able to to further develop that curveball. We've seen it, it, good now. He uses it as his weapon. He pitches the the four seamer up in the zone. You're seeing the two seamer as the more consistent fastball that he uses, but the four seamer's a weapon, you know, up in the zone. That's that's what happened to Kyle. He had to go down there and find himself, and then you know, strange luck last year. He's not on the division series roster. He makes just two regular season starts last year. Right? That's it at, at the big league level. He's not on a division series roster. He's not on the NLCS roster. In game two of the World Series, they're getting beat 7-2. to two. He says he's in the bullpen getting ready for this garbage inning, and he can't throw a strike. I mean, he cannot find the catcher's glove, and he goes out there and he strikes out the only three batters he faces. And then a few days later, they bring in Dylan Lee to, to start a game. You know, Dylan Lee's comes out of, you know, with – We saw him twice last year, and Kyle's already warming up basically three pitches into the game out there in the the bullpen. He comes in with bases loaded and one out and limits the Astros to one run and allows them just one more run over the next four and two-thirds innings. And all of a sudden, the guy that comes back to spring training this year, he's got that look in his eye like he did when he was at Vanderbilt a few years ago. Like, it's not wide-eyed rookie that I saw a few years ago or the wide-eyed young pitcher who struggled. This guy's very confident he believes in himself, he believes in his stuff, and uh, we're seeing that through the results
2: now on the flip side for Braves starting pitching is Charlie Morton, who's been had a really rough go of it thus far, couldn't get out of the third inning last night against the Cubs. He's got a seven e r a through uh through through four appearances this season. He's generally been one of the most consistent like maybe not ace pitchers of the last year, but maybe like tier two starters over the last few years in baseball. What's what's going on with Morton?
3: I'll tell you. Let's all just sit down and, and take a look at these numbers. you got the fastball, okay. The velocity's down a little bit, but if we look at his three of his first four starts last year, it's similar to where it was. You know, 94.1, 94.2 Here's a guy who was more like ninety five point six throughout most of last year. The velo's down, but this is exactly where it was in April of last year. The spin rate with the curveball is down, and this is not the put away pitch it has been in the past, not even close the primary thing is is he's not getting swing and misses. His whiff rate right now is around 20.8%. And if we go back to 2017, when he turned things around in his career, he's consistently been around 28, 29% uh, with his whiff rate. And the baffling thing, last night, so they, the Cubs took 26 swings last night. They whiffed three times. That's just the I think it was the thirteenth time in two hundred and seventy-eight games where in which an opponent swung at least twenty five times that Morton got three swings and misses or, or, or less. And most of those occurrences happened before two thousand fourteen. This it just I, th- I think the biggest thing is he he's he's not finding the strike zone with the four seam early. He's getting behind and counts they're not chasing the curveball but the primary thing is is here's a guy who, who was able to really use that curveball as a weapon uh it was a put away pitch and it has not been there for him this year
1: no oh, you really put me on the spot to try to look up charlie morton data while you were talking but at an extremely high level it looks like his sinker has less drop and his four seamer is just a lot straighter like way less cut Than it used to have. That's that's the outcome of about five seconds of looking at numbers, which is like the worst way to make an evaluation. (laughs) Yeah, that's where we are. (laughs) Um, Listen, the best player on the Braves this year, Colorado side, has been Matt Olson, who has been absolutely fantastic. And I know you know losing Freeman was a hugely uh, emotional moment for Braves fans, but I was pretty into the swap because I've been a huge Matt Olson fan, and. it seems like he's exceeded everyone's expectations. Like he could not have possibly made this transition from an all-time legend to a new first baseman go any better. Like, is he, is, is he, I don't know how to say it right. Like, is he popular? Not in the way that Freeman was, but is he making everybody a little more at ease with this? I, I don't
3: think there could have been a, a better replacement from, you know, a production standpoint, both offensively and defensively. And just a, a guy that just comes in the clubhouse and just fits in right away. He is a local kid he went to Parkview. So we don't have to hear Jeff Frank Court say he was the best guy that ever graduated from Parkview. Matt Olson now, now holds that that uh, title, but anyhow, uh, sorry, Frenchie. But uh, you know, it, it has been good to, to see him come in here and make a, a smooth transition. And, and like you said, there might be a lot of people around the, the baseball world, you know, with him playing in Oakland, that didn't know uh, who Matt Olson was, but you know, there's, they're going to quickly find out, you know, now that he he's playing for on the East Coast and for a team that uh, they're going to see on television a lot. It's a uh, I've said a couple times over the last couple weeks. Yes, it's a shame that Freddie Freeman didn't get a chance to play his his entire career with the Braves. That's what he wanted. Okay, that but at the same time, that doesn't mean the Braves aren't in a better position now with Matt Olson for eight years. They've got this guy who's four or five years younger who's going to be more productive, much longer. This. Probably couldn't have worked out any better for the Braves.
2: All right, Mark, one last question before we let you go. You know, up until Acuna coming back tonight, I think the biggest story in the, and at least thus far this season has been the the hot start of the Mets, who are 14-6. and six. Of course, the Mets have had hot starts before and faded. What do you think the perception is amongst the Mets and the Braves clubhouse right now? Do you think there's the vibe of like, ah, same old Vets, Will they'll fade like they always do. Or do you think there's a perception, at least within the Braves clubhouse, oh, Scherzer's there, Buck Showalter's there, maybe this is a different opponent than we faced the last few years? I think,
3: yeah, I think those two guys are, are the biggest difference makers. You know, the Braves obviously have the utmost respect for for Scherzer, um, but Buck. I mean, I, he is making. I mean, it does feel like he has already made a significant difference in that clubhouse, and will continue to you know, over the course of this summer. Yes, th- there is a genuine respect. I think everybody understands this doesn't, you know, this isn't going to necessarily be the same old Mets team. I joked here earlier this year, I said, down here in the South, they used to always say if a team kind of stumbled during the course of the season, you called it Clemsoning. But, you know, <laughs> and then you felt like they were Metsing and also in the baseball world. But I I don't think Joe Walter is going to let that happen. I think this is this is going to be a very interesting race. I think, you know, next week the Mets – try to prove their hot start isn't a fluke. And the, the Braves have to prevent not getting buried too early too soon because against this Mets club, they're not going to be able to repeat what they did last year, just turn it on there over the final two months and, and overtake them. I think this is going to be a great race. I think Chipper and everybody else that has has loved the, the Braves-Mets rivalries from yesteryear are really going to enjoy what these two teams do this summer.
1: Mark, thanks so much. I'm going to let you go with one very quick question. Uh, Eddie Rosario started the year for three for 44. It's now come out he's going to miss eight to 12 weeks while recovering from an eye procedure. Is it the greatest accomplishment in baseball history for a guy with an injured eye to get three hits? Because I feel like that's incredible.
3: <laughs> exactly. It was – yeah, he doubled off of uh, their Dodger Stadium last week and had a, a single off for Walker Bueller, and some of the Braves fans were saying, see – Even when he's blind, he can still get hit walking.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Mark Bowman, who is our Braves.com beat reporter. Thank you so much. All right, guys.
3: Thank you. Take care.
1: We will take a break. We'll be back on the MLB.com Ballpark Dimensions podcast where Matt and I will introduce you to a pair of guys you should know a little bit more about. We are back on the MLB.com Ballpark Dimensions podcast. Mike Petrell and Matt Myers we are into our three batter minimum where we talk about three of the most interesting topics of the week. And the first one is actually the Yankees are good heading into the game that just started from our point of view. The Yankees are 12 and six there in first place. And, And this isn't really like an analytic number I'm about to give you, but heading into the year, the vibes were bad. The vibes were 30th place. Every Yankee fan was upset because they didn't get Carlos Correa, and they didn't get Freddie Freeman. And I didn't disagree with them necessarily, but they've been good. They are alone in first place in a tough division. And I think a lot of the credit has to go to the pitching staff. The pitching's been pretty good. 280 ERA is third best. 26% K rate is fourth best. And what I find most interesting is maybe some of this is coming from unexpected sources. Like, for example, Gary Cole's been just okay. I thought Johnny Liza was going to be great. He has not been great. If you look at the bullpen, Michael King, Araldis Chapman, and Clay Holmes combined, 118 batters faced two earned runs, 36% strikeout rate. Luis Severino's comeback has been very good. Jordan Montgomery has been pretty decent. And our man, Nestor Cortez Jr., has a 45% strikeout rate. If you look at every pitcher in baseball, the minimum of 10 innings, that leads the majors. Literally Nestor Cortez, who has always been known as, hey, the funky lefty, the guy with the mustache. No now he's just dominating people. I love pitchers so much that this is just like a thing you can do that's mostly about his new cutter. Uh the Yankees I think were always underestimated by their own fan base because it was not a fun winter for them. And I always kind of said, "Yeah, you're not wrong, but I think they're going to be good
2: and so far so good." Yeah, the one one guy you mentioned that stands out to me who's gotten has not gotten a ton of hype is Michael King, who's just like just been absolutely dominant out of the bullpen and this is like the Yankees' when it comes to player development, this is like the one thing they've been done really well for a few years now. It's like turning unknown like reliever guys into like really good relievers. Um, and I feel like King is kind of the latest in that, that line that, that goes back a few years. And, you know, they only allowed 54 runs on the year. You know, the Red Sox have allowed 77 to give you a point of comparison on the young season of just how much better their pitching has been um, than their rivals. The Tor- Toronto has also allowed 77 runs. The Rays 30, uh, 73. So like they're, They are a a very good run prevention team. You know, one guy that I was worried about, you know, the the bottom of the order has been, you know, was concerned with Kyle Higashioka, who's been bad um, at the plate. Um, Isaiah Kondoflava, who's shown some signs of life hitting, but also, like, I think maybe the defense has been better as part of the overall run prevention, and they've been able to kind of, like, Fade having those guys in the lineup a little bit. I do think it's going to, especially like having both those guys, will probably come back to bite them at some point a little bit. But right now, the run prevention has been really good. And on
1: the other side of the ball, the production has been maybe not the shape I thought it would be. Um, you know, Aaron Judge has been very good. They've gotten a nice rebound from DJ Lemayhew. Anthony Rizzo has eight home runs, seven of them at home, almost all of them Yankee Stadium jobs. And I'm just, I'm thinking back to like the beginning of last year when they were all like, hey, we don't need lefty bats. It'll it'll be fine. It it was not fine. Higgy, as you said, Higashioka has not really hit at all. What's been nice is that Isaiah Kiner falefa is showing signs of life. I was pretty down on this whole idea. His hard hit rate is up from 28% to 40%, which is pretty good. Uh, His OPS plus is 108. That's 8% better than average. And the defense, which like the first week of the season looked really rough, has actually improved a lot. You know, he's up from a minus seven outs above average last year to plus two. I I still don't look at him as more than like a, I don't know, a fill-in starter. I don't think he's a star. Um, But Carlos Correa has been kind of terrible in Minnesota. So I guess Yankee (laughs) fans can at least point to that. Even Joey Gallo has hit a couple home runs over the last couple of days and he's got off to a terrible start. Here's my question. What are they going to do with Claybro Torres? It's like the third straight year now where he's not hitting. He's not a great defender. I, I guess you just let it ride. You know, LeMahieu's getting a lot more of the playing time, obviously. But the Yankees are in a better spot than I think their own fans would probably give them credit for.
2: I do wonder if Torres could eventually be part of like a change of scenery trade for maybe a pass, possible catcher upgrade. This is right off the top of my head, but I think that uh, this is my, uh, this is what I'm going to be watching now because that, the one thing about, you know, not saying Higashioka should not be on the roster, but he's he should be a backup. And so, they could easily upgrade there. There's an easy way to upgrade there. Maybe it's via prospect, but like I could see a club saying, you know what, I think change of scenery Torres could. You know, he was a huge prospect. He did hit like 40 homers a couple of years ago. You can factor the ball on that, however, you, however he'd like. But I, I could see that for sure.
1: All right, our second topic is the Twins are leading a messy American League Central. We talked about the struggles of the White Sox before. Certainly that plays a part in this, but the Twins are 10-8 and as they're playing Detroit right now. They're the only team above 500 in the American League Central. And if you look at the five teams in that division, I was always out on Kansas City. They're not playing very well. Detroit, I was like half in on, but it didn't seem like this was going to be the year. Cleveland is kind of the same thing they have every year. And I thought the White Sox would be good. And I wasn't sure what to make of the twins because I thought they'd win the division last year. Then they were terrible. And then they made a lot of moves this offseason. Here's the thing that's weird. If you were to look at the twins heading into this 2022 season, I think you would have said, hey, I I think they'll hit. I think their lineup's pretty good, especially after adding Carlos Correa. They haven't really hit much outside of Byron Buxton. And I would have said, I'm not so sure about that pitching. Pitching's been pretty good, which proves that I don't know what I'm talking about, I guess. Uh, They have a 323 ERA, which is the ninth best. Joe Ryan who I came so close to picking for American League Rookie of the Year, but I didn't because of names I, like Julio Rodriguez. He's been so
2: good. He has 21 strikeouts. I thought, strikeouts and two I thought you did pick him. I thought you. I thought the entire no. reason you wanted to talk about the twins on the podcast was to do a Joe Ryan victory lap.
1: <laughs> I I can't remember if I did now. I think I picked Julio Rodriguez. I think I was a coward. Maybe I picked him different. Maybe I picked it differently in different places. Here's what I'm going to do. I don't really use the stat whip ever, but I'm going to use it now because it suits my own purposes because I just saw our stats account tweet it. He has the lowest whip, 0.74 through nine career starts since Christy Mathewson in 1901. <laughs> Again, do you want to point to the ball? Sure, why not? He has 21 strikeouts and two walks, and of note, they acquired him last year for Nelson Cruz, who's hitting a buck 67 in Washington right now. That's a trade that looks really good. I'm not saying the twins' rotation of Joe Ryan and Bailey Ober and Dylan Bundy and Chris's Paddock and Archer and also Sonny Gray is suddenly great, but I do think it's better than I thought it would be. And I also don't think Carlos Correa is going to have a 250 slugging percentage all year. The twins have a chance. <laughs>
2: Honestly, I was watching the twins last night briefly and I was watching Joe Ryan deal and I I remember you you talking at one point how you were gonna outsmart everyone by picking Joe Ryan to win rookie of the year. I was like, oh my goodness, I know Mike's gonna be doing his Joe Ryan victory <laughs> on the podcast today. Now I gotta go back and look. I can't remember if I did it. Uh we can't talk about the
1: twins, I guess, without talking about Byron Buxton, who like it's not a surprise that he looks this great. You know, it's a it's a surprise when he's on the field enough to show it. But man, does he look good? He looks so good. He is this is a controversial hot take here when he's healthy he's the best player in baseball right his health is a skill he doesn't have that skill which is why he's not the best player in baseball but in terms of like the full package the offense defense base running i cannot conceive of a player better than he is that that is my hot take for the afternoon
2: fair fair enough that's a fair take
1: uh and yeah it'd be nice you know if carlos correa would hit at all that's been surprising to me the third topic in our three batter minimum The Mets and the weird trick they're pulling off. So they are playing fantastically. I believe they've won each of their first six series. They are 14 and six. They are three and a half games up in the National League East. Here's something that I think is cool with a big caveat. So they lead the majors in the lowest strikeout rate among their batters. No team strikes out less than the Mets do. 19%. That's very good. They lead the majors in the highest strikeout rate for their pitchers. No team strikes out more batters than the Mets do. 28%. That's very good. Only two teams have ever done this over a full season. And yes, I know April is not a full season. The 2013 Tigers, who had Justin Verlander and Scherzer and Miguel Cabrera. The 2019 Astros, who also had Justin Verlander and Garrett Cole and Bregman and Correa and Altuve. I don't think the Mets are going to necessarily pull this off for a whole year, but the fact that you can even bring that up is cool. Like, that's very cool. Here's the caveat. The Mets are striking out very little on offense. They're also not hitting the ball hard at all. They have the third weakest hard hit rate. Here are the other teams in that list: the Reds, who absolutely can't hit; the Cardinals, who can hit a little bit; uh, the Guardians, who mostly can't hit; and the Marlins, who definitely can't hit. And the Mets, a team with Brandon Nimmo and Pete Alonso and some pretty big names, they are not hitting the ball hard. Which do you believe about the Mets' offense? Are they good or are they weak?
2: I think it's a pretty good offense. Um, I think I think the I think they're second in the league in in Wade Runs Created Plus right now. I think it's a little deceptive. I think the, the the BABIP gods, for lack of a better word, have been kind to them thus far. Um, you know, like Mark Canna does not have a barrel yet this year. Uh, and some of their other players just like have not really been hitting the ball all that hard. So that's where I'm a little bit skeptical. I think one thing, one place the Mets kind of differ from some of their like competition at the top of the NL, especially in the East with the Braves and Acuna and the Dodgers with Freeman and Betts. They don't have that kind of like tier one hitter right? Like they have like a bunch of good hitters, you know, like Alonzo and Nimo, who's probably underrated. Nimmo might actually be their best hitter, um, which is, which yeah. I think probably doesn't get discussed enough, but like he might actually be their best hitter. But they, I think that that's kind of where they, they're a cut below, at least on the offensive side, compared to some of their competition at the top of the NL. So I'm like a little bit skeptical. I think it's probably when it's all said and done, more of the middle of the pack offense. But if they're starting pitching, especially if they can get Jacob DeGrom back, that's still the the makeup of a roster that can can win the division.
1: Since we're talking about the Mets, we are obligated to talk about the hit-by-pitch issue. The Mets have been hit by pitches, uh, I believe, 19 times now, more than anybody else in baseball, by kind of a lot. I have absolutely no problem whatsoever with guys like Chris Bassett going up to defend their guys. You know, like Pete Alonso gets hit in the head more than once. Of course you're going to get upset about that. I totally get that, uh, and I support it. I'd like to offer some numbers, though. Uh, the hit-by-pitch rate in baseball is actually down over the, over last year, which was down from the year before, which I think people would be surprised with. If you just look at the percent of pitches inside, no team gets pitched inside more. To right-handed batters than the Mets do, which would lead to some hit by pitches. I think that is maybe a little bit about the strategy of just where are the holes of these guys. And I would also note, um, they added some baseball magnets this winter. If you look at the if you look at the guys who've been hit by a pitch the most since 2019. Anthony Rizzo's first, unsurprisingly. Number two is Mark Kana, and number five is Starling Marte. Number four is Pete Alonso. I don't know how or why this has happened. They do seem to have acquired guys who get hit by pitches more. And while I don't want to dismiss their concerns, because again, they are getting hit a lot, it seems to me like nothing that's Mets specific. I think like four of them have come with the bases loaded. <laughs> like this is, it's, I don't want to say it's a fluke. I do think it'll even out.
2: I, I tend to agree with you. I think it's this has been a bit overblown. Um, you know, the Pirates haven't been hit by pitch at all, which I think is probably more of an, <laughs> more yeah, of an outlier. <laughs> the, the Pirates have zero hit by pitches, which I actually think is more of an outlier than the Mets having 19. Um <laughs> And I think a bit of it overblown. I think there's there's two separate things, right? There's the question of like, are they being headhunted? Or like, you know, the question of like some pitchers who are pitching up and in who maybe don't have the command to do it. And it's kind of like, if you don't have the command to pitch there, you shouldn't be pitching there. And I think those are kind of separate conversations. Like the pitch that Alonzo got hit in the head the other night was like there was two strikes on him and it was a changeup. Like, change yeah. <laughs> a changeup, A changeup at the head. No one's throwing change ups up and in, right? Like that's like one that just like really, really got away from the pitcher whose name escapes me. Uh, Cody Whitley. Cody Whitley like, the Mets might still lead the league in hit by pitches for the reasons you mentioned, because they have a lot of guys who have this as like part of their skill set, for lack of a better word. But I think that, like yes, this, um, this will probably fade and um, soon. All right, Matt and I, each week we
1: pick a guy you should be talking more about. And as I joke each week, Matt gives me a hard time when it's a pop-up short inning reliever. I have found someone way more interesting this week, Taylor Ward who if you don't know who that is, is the angel who is not Tyler Wade. This is Taylor Ward. 395 at 816 slugging percentage. He's got 11 walks and nine strikeouts. If you look at the underlying Statcast metrics, right, the, the quality of contact, the amount of contact, the list goes like this. Number one, Mike Trout. Okay, cool. Number two, Taylor Ward. That says to me, maybe he's not this good, but this isn't just like good luck either. Last night, he became the second player in the modern era of baseball to have a double, a triple, a grand slam, and score four runs behind Roger Maris in 1958. So you're wondering to yourself, who's Taylor Ward? Good question. He has had a really interesting career path for two reasons. The first reason is he was a first-round pick in 2015, 26th overall. That's the year Swanson and Bregman went 1-2. He's actually teammates with Aaron Judge at Fresno State. When he was drafted, it was as a catcher a defense-first catcher who had some hitting problems. Here's a real quote from Alden Gonzalez, who was writing for us back in 2015. Uh, he talked to Angel scouting director Rick Wilson, who projects Ward to be ready by 2018 and believes he can be a 250 hitter, maybe 12 to 15 homer type. It was further quoted that defense is his biggest strength, again, as a catcher, and offense is his greatest question. Well, he caught for three years in the Angel system then was moved to third base. Actually, came up in twenty eighteen. Played the second most games at third base of any of the Angels of that year. Here's some guys: Luis Fabina, Zach Cozart, David Fletcher, Caleb Kozart, Jeffrey Marte. Then he was moved to the outfield, so he's bounced around a lot, and he never really hit. Here's the second part of his interesting career path. This is his fifth year in the majors. His OPS has increased steadily each year: five seventy eight the first year, six twenty five, seven sixteen. This year, it's a wild 13.46. I found this quote from Joe Madden that really made me laugh. Last year, he was struggling, and he was optioned in July, never came back. Joe Madden was quoted late in 2021 to The Athletic. I'm not saying he can't be a starting outfielder, but probably a good fourth outfielder would be his best lot in life, (laughs) which is a (laughs) wonderful quote. Uh, This year, he injured his groin in spring training, didn't even come up until 12 days ago. Am I overreacting to 12 days worth of data? I 100% am. But he is their regular right fielder. Trout's at center field. Joe Adele and Brandon Marsher in left field. DH is Otani. Sort of explains some of why uh, Justin Upton got cut loose in spring training. The Angels are playing pretty well, even though Otani has not hit in the least. And part
2: of that is because of Taylor Ward. The Angels are playing quite well. They lead the league in runs scored. Um, and, you know, obviously Trout is 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 back and, and hitting as well as ever. Even Rendon has a 126 weight runs three plus. Brandon Marsh has been good. It's a feisty offense they have. I mean, I'm like I'm, I, I don't think Taylor Ward's going to keep this up all year, but I also think Otani's going to start hitting a bit better at some point and probably balance some of that out. This is the most interesting, maybe I don't know, promising Angels team that's come around in a few years now. It feels like there might be something here in terms of sticking around for the playoff run. Do you believe in that?
1: Um I mean, I guess if Mike Trout's going to play like this, then yeah. I mean, Otani's not really hitting, but he looks unbelievable on the mound. Like,
2: he looks fantastic. So, yes, if those two guys are doing that, then sure. Um, My guy that uh, we should be talking a bit more about this week is Jerkson Profar, who is quietly um, fifth in the majors with five home runs. uh, And and he has four barrels already after having only eight all of last year. His walk rate is way up, and he's really helping the Padres – compensate for the absence of Fernando Tatis Jr. Obviously, Profar, for people who follow prospects, at one point was like the guy. Entering 2013, he was MLB Pipeline's number one prospect. At that point, he was a shortstop with the Rangers. And I'm not sure, like I'm trying to think of like how to sort of, in terms of like the the pantheon of like, you know, number one prospects. He wasn't quite on like the hype, the hype level of like where Vlad Jr. and Wander were, Wander Franco were when they came up. But like, probably just a couple it was like it was just a a matter of you know when not if he was going to be a star it never really happened in Texas it was kind of a disappointment that the Rangers had kind of a a wave of of prospects from that era who just didn't really pan out he went to the A's in like a crazy three-team trade uh in the 2018-2019 offseason I could read you all these names but it just like it's you know there was you know competitive balance picks and, you know, just, it, it's a crazy trade. And then, and then almost exactly a year later, he was traded from the A's to the Padres and he re-signed with the Padres as a free agent. He's mostly been just kind of a utility guy, but there's like reasons to be, I don't know, a little optimistic that like maybe mean he's 29 years old. Like I, I think the, the odds of him now becoming like a superstar, probably not going to happen, but like it's nice to see after all this time that he is finally kind of having the type of season or the start to the kind of start to a season that we thought he might be able to have um way back when. And um it's cool it's cool to see. Look at us going deep on the post, post,
1: post hype prospects over here. <laughs> Since you brought up the Padres, how long do you think I can ignore the fact that Eric Cosmer is sitting 410 with a 607 slugging percentage? <laughs> uh I guess another week that will do it for this week's podcast don't miss an episode by subscribing on apple Podcasts, spotify or wherever you get your podcasts if you're enjoying the show or have any suggestions leave us a rating and a review thanks for listening to the ballpark dimensions podcast see you next week